This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear. It's Roy here. Rob is currently off commentating on tennis somewhere glamorous. So it's me doing the introduction to this, uh, the second Full Flaps edition, following on from the start of Series 3 episode about the Avro Lancaster. Uh, hopefully, last week you heard our interview with Andrew Panton, who runs the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre, which is the only place in Europe uh, where you can get inside a Lancaster and hear those Merlin engines fire up and go on a taxi ride. It's a fantastic museum with loads to see and do. Uh, it, I've been twice and I can't wait to go again because there's still stuff which I haven't got around to seeing. They've also, they've also got a mosquito there which does a taxi ride as well. And the most exciting thing which we've had about in this interview, which I didn't even know, is there's a full plan. They are three years into a 10 year plan to get that Lancaster flying. Oh my God, how exciting would that be? It's crazy. Uh, so this is a follow-up from that episode because that interview we did talk for a long time. And this part is three small uh, episodes. The first bit is us being given a tour inside the Lancaster by Andrew, which was so exciting. And I have to apologize. There are some stupid questions from us and we do sound like giddy schoolboys at times because we were, we were very excited. We didn't realize we were going to get on board. And as we were on board, they started moving the plane around. So we were in a moving Lancaster, which was very exciting. Uh, the second part is Andrew talking us through the startup process of the four Merlin engines. And then the third part is just the sound of those engines. There's no talking at all. So if you're into that, then just let those last five minutes run uh, and listen to the engine startup and the, the aircraft taxi away. Oh, before I go, uh, I want to say thank you so much for all your support. We've just hit 50,000 unique downloads. Uh, which is amazing. So if you're enjoying this, please go out and tell your friends. The last episode was the most listened to out of everything we've released. It was the highest first week figure. So it's amazing to see it grow. I'm glad you're enjoying it almost as much as we are making it. Uh, it really is a joy. We will be back next week with another magazine episode all about Lincolnshire, Bomber County, and our stay at the wonderful Petwood Hotel, which was the, uh, the base of the Dambusters. So we will see you next week. Until then, get in contact with us, uh, toplandinggear.com, two Gs. Uh, until then, bye for now. This is Top Landing Gear. You've got the biggest smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going? Right. Well, we're just um, strolling along the tarmac of the apron here, approaching the Lancaster Just Jane, which is glinting in this autumnal sunshine here and um, about to go on its taxi run. And it just looks, it looks like she wants to be airborne. Andrew, the, uh, the dome at the back of the 
cockpit is for what purpose? It's an astrodome. Yeah. So um, they would do their star chart checking from in there with the astro compass or the, the bubble sextant. So it's really a navigational device, um, for want of a better way of describing it. Um, it was also um, part of a system that the wireless operator would look up in there if they got attacked by enemy aircraft, and then, then he would help coordinate the response from the, um, the gunners. Okay. What's this thing on the underside? It's H2S radar. So it came out um, about 40, 1943. Um, Lancasters were, were fitted then as production. Others were, were retrofitted with it. So it's a ground mapping radar that helped with um, obviously navigation. Yeah. The biggest problem with it, the, the Germans could actually track it. So everybody wanted it for a start and then nobody wanted it because they could be seen. <laughs> but what it basically does, it, it, it works best with uh, rivers and coastlines and things because you get a different... Um, reflection effectively from the ground depending on, on what it is that it's hitting and bouncing back uh, but on the screen at the navs desk um, you could basically get your map on a screen so you can compare it to your map to see where you are Gosh. and just i don't want to sound like too much of a spotter here but is the t is the upper turret on this one further forward than the upper turret on the BBMF length? it is yeah so it's the same cupola so we've got a fraser nash cupola fitted but it's, it's about six feet seven feet further forward um if it was a fraser nash turret it'd be basically above the d on the, yeah. the side whereas this is because the the martin turret for the mark 7 lancaster was heavier it had to be closer to the center of gravity oh. if at lunch then we can if we could do like a little tour and would you be able to take us through and talk because that could be an episode by itself <laughs> okay Is James actually why is he in the seat? He's doing a brakes. Tell him the brakes. man. <laughs> no one else got a chance. Oh, <laughs> someone said we need someone to go. He's like a rat up a drain pipe. Quite fat, slow rat. <laughs> Nonetheless, quite a big drain pipe. <laughs> Nonetheless. James is laughing. Uh, That's because it's funny. Here we go, Rob. Where are we? Do you want to hold this? Okay. Start talking. Alright. Tell us where we are. Well, we are currently sitting, standing, in the cockpit of the Lancaster. We're being towed back into position for its afternoon taxi run. Jez, Roy and I are slightly irritated because Andrew said, could someone sit up front and operate the brakes? First into the seat, James, our pilot. Barging, barges way past. <laughs> Literally. Knocking everyone out of the way to get here. But to be fair, he's probably the only person who really knows what he's doing. <laughs> apart from Andrew, obviously. Uh, I wouldn't ever say I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's, it's a great vantage point to be, be up here, isn't it? It's, this is a boyhood dream, isn't it? Yeah, really. isn't it? Going backwards in a Lancaster. Going backwards in a Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> Intentionally. Yeah, yes, that's true, yeah. This is where we need to do a video podcast, a vodcast. Yeah. Yes, vodcast. yeah. Vodka. It is extraordinary. Height-wise, James, this position, is it uh, comparable to something? Very similar. Very similar to a, um, a 777, I'd say. Yeah. Flight deck quite similar? Uh, yeah, a couple more dials than we have. <laughs> uh, and I'm sitting on the wrong side. Oh, yeah, <laughs> left-hand seat here. Only seat, yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, it's uh, it would be flyable, you know, using the instruments I have, but these are old instruments compared yeah. to a primary flight display or something they would have today, but um, just incredible. The smell, the sights, the, you know, it's just 
Fantastic. Yeah. So the principles of flight are obviously the same as to what you're used to. Yeah. So you put the pedals in front of your feet. Yoke, the other ones aren't linked up, they're just static at the moment. Okay, um, yeah. But your elevator's all linked up, rudders yeah. are linked up. It's all just changing rods. So down the left hand side, you see these two chrome rods. Yeah. One's your rudder, one's your elevator. And just go all the way down the tail, right about to the, uh, the back of the aircraft. All totally mechanical. Yeah. Nothing so electrical. Hydraulic aid to anything. Um, obviously, hydraulics on the bomb doors, under the yeah. carriage flaps, yeah. and turrets. But all the flying controls flying are just, controls. yeah. That's why you hear stories and putting the feet up on the panel to get some leverage to pull out of a dive and Gosh, that wow. sort of thing. Wow. And the flaps down here. Yep. Um, gear. Gear is uh, the red one back here. Oh, that one. That's red one, yep. Um, straight in front, you've got your throttle quadrant. Yep. And so these underneath, are... underneath is your pitch change. Right. Increased revs. Yep. Uh, on so top is your throttle. Sure, throttle. On the side, your master fuel cocks. So it's obviously turns the fuel on for the engines. It's how you stop them as well. You yep. starve them the fuel. Starter button. Um, by your right shoulder. Don't tell him that. Yeah, the, the one's black, one's capped over. At oh, the top yeah. Of the okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got mag switches to the left of that. Obviously, four of a lot of things because you've got four engines. Yeah. Yeah. What's the minimum number of engines it could fly on? Uh, without a bomb load, it would uh, maintain height on two, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just descend gracefully on one. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were um, doing taxi runs, Say one engine didn't start. Mm -hmm. Would you do a three-engine taxi? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you lose an outboard, it's a lot more difficult yeah. because you, you've lost the, the asymmetric power for turning. So you, you'd always turn against the, the lost engine, so to speak. Well, great bit of reverse taxiing, James. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, well, I haven't even asked to put the brakes on yet. So, um, <laughs> oh, the chocks are in. Chocks are turning the brakes. I think I did pretty well. To be honest. <laughs> well done. I think well we did quite well to get up here without <laughs> yeah. one of us getting stuck. Getting your back out. No, we've got to get out yet. Just in the, the cabin, in a, is the floor lower because there's, there's, is that the actual floor level yeah, of the... This, uh, is the old, this is the old original floor, oh. yeah. So we're on top of the bomb bay now. Oh, this is the bomb bay. Yeah, yeah. so the bomb bay yeah. finishes as you step down into the bomb aimless position. Yeah. And it's 33 feet, 33 feet stretching all the way down to the mid of a turret, right. where you step down off the mid of a turret, then back in the, the fuselage, so to speak. Because the fuselage behind the bomb bay seems actually quite spacious. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of space it's, there. That it's only really there to enable the aircraft to fly, yeah. the aerodynamic and everything. It doesn't really house anything no. as such. Um, like the rear gunner's out beyond the tailplane. If you lose that part of the aircraft, you wouldn't know about it. No. So, um, yeah, it's uh, up here in the, the cockpit. Obviously, you've got your navigator here, and just around the corner is your wireless operator. They had a curtain here that closed their position in to stop the light from their lamps and their equipment from escaping out of the aircraft. The H2S we were talking about underneath the aircraft would have been just here, where I am. There's G here, which is a, a navigational device. So, you've got a, a master aerial and two slaves in the UK. They send out pulses which converge over the target, so that you can see where you range, are. That's very long range, isn't it? That would go. Yeah, the only problem with that is because um, it's radio waves, it was straight. Yeah. So the curvature of the Earth, you get further away, you, you lose the signal. Right. But yeah, it's a very good system, uh, utilised by um, mosquitoes as well. Yeah. yeah. And the the Germans had a similar thing, and we tried to bend that, didn't we? I suppose. To do yeah, that, they, so, they uh, used it for for bombing Coventry. I think was the yeah. probably the first use of it. Yeah. Just around the corner is the wireless op, so he's got his transmitter and receiver radio there. And that was, was that all Morse, or was it um, it, it's, well? it's Morse and it's uh, VHF okay. um, as well. They obviously, didn't use the radio very much because it could be heard and, mm. by the uh, the Germans. 
They also had a, an eighth-man position sometimes on some aircraft um, to use for um, airborne cigar and uh, radio jamming equipment and things like that. So you could sometimes have a, a German-speaking uh, member of the crew on to, um, to talk over the same frequencies as the, the German night fighter controllers and send them to different areas. And um, They were invariably a, a German-speaking Jew that had, had made its way to the UK before Holocaust uh, was set about. Goodness. In the very front, your bomb aimer. So the bomb aimer kneels down on the cushions, leaning forwards onto the leather cushion in the front. Bomb sight straight in front of him, front turret above his head, and the, the escape hatch underneath his knees. So he kneels on the escape hatch that the front four crew members go out of in an emergency. So that, that's the way out for the front four? Yeah, if you bail out, you go out that way. Obviously, yeah. pilot last, keeping the aircraft level for the others to get out. Yeah. The wireless operator is supposed to go back and check to make sure the gunners have got out. Mm-hmm. He'll then roll out of the door that we boarded on. Mm-hmm. Middle of the gunner goes out that door, and the, the rear gunner's supposed to rotate his turret and go out backwards. And during, um, as you were flying towards your target, the, the bomb aimer would be actually manning the front gun turret, is, is that right? Yeah, it's supposed to be in the turret when he's not over the target. But if you speak to a lot of um, bomb aimers, they never really use the front turret. No. Never really got a frontal attack from the enemy anyway. So by the time they'd got up there, and into, it, was all, it was all gone. Right. So. They're much better laid down telling the navigator what they can see because the nav can't see out. So he's reliant on crew members telling him if there's an, an estuary or a, a viaduct or anything like that so he can relate it to his map. Yeah. And crews stay together as a crew for the, the whole mission, for the sequence of missions? Yeah, they? generally, yeah. Um, you will have the odd instance where someone just needs to do a few more trips to finish their tour, for example, mm. uh, and so they'll do that and then they'll get replaced. Mm. Um, you hear so many stories of um, a crew member getting a cold and therefore they cannot fly. Mm. Well, while they're not flying, the crew then goes missing mm. and things like that. So, and the whole LMF thing, lack of moral fibre, was a uh, you know, yeah, as we would call it, PTSD, I suppose now, but yeah. much, much misunderstood and mm. some horrific stories of those poor guys who, yeah, were at their at the end of their tether. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so you say lack of moral fibre is what they, they called it. Yeah. Uh, but they, they didn't want it spreading, so to speak. They didn't want others thinking, well, he's got away without doing ops, mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll do the same. But, uh, I mean, the, the, the veterans you speak to, you certainly get the impression that, that they would have gone even if they knew they weren't coming back. Yeah. Like, they knew they had a job to do and they, yeah. they were going to go and do it. That, that was their part to, to fight the war for, for the country. So. Yeah, the, the odds were highly likely not coming back. You, know, yeah. you knew that every time you... Yes, you got in an airplane, you must less than 45%, wasn't it? That's yeah, they had a lower life expectancy than an officer in the trenches in the First World War. Yeah. <laughs> and people volunteered. Yeah, every air crew member was a volunteer. Yeah. Can we get James out of the mm. um, no. seat? Physically, <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll exit the aircraft. Oh, no. I have actually said that before, so but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that I don't want to, but you can go, so you go. The smell is just something else, yeah, isn't it? It's, 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 the smell is such a huge part of it, isn't it? So the, the navigator would have had a plotting... This is a plotting table thing, yep. so he'd be... Yeah, so on Mark 7 Lank, he had a bench seat that bolted yeah. through the floor and it just tipped 90 degrees to lay past. Um, earlier ones had a, a seat which rotated on that post there, so it came out and swept back in. Do you remember it all from your taxi ride? I do, yeah. yeah it's it incredible. It's, yeah. It's, like, it's just frightening to think. You know, 
I'm pretty fit and agile. And it still took me five minutes to get from that escape hatch at the back to here. And you've got to do it in an aircraft that's on fire. Yeah. With spinning. spinning. And in full kit. In so full urban kit. jacket, yeah. vest, parachute harness. It's... There's a reason why they were 19 and 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at through here, uh, Andrew. It's a drift site. So you measure the wind drift on the aircraft and navigate. You can see what effect the, the out external winds are having on the aircraft taking it off course. And it changes course mm-hmm. accordingly to allow for the wind. The majority of the navigation was done by dead reckoning, so it's just yeah. course for a length of time, change of course for a length of time. Yeah. So there's so many things that can have an effect on that, let alone doing a corkscrew to get out of the way of an enemy fire. Yes. Yeah, and having to start again, yeah, yeah. So how would they find out where they were? Say if, you know, they went off course, what, yeah. would, what would they do? Star sites, is it? Yeah, looking out to see if they can note anything that would be applicable for the map. Um, going in the, the bubble sextant just behind you, in the roof yeah. there, um, and doing a star star shot, see where they are, um, in comparison to the stars. Um, and then they could get a G fix, so they could use this box to see yeah. where they are off track. Um yeah, there's not many. That's why you hear so many straying over a, um, a territory of flak and things like that. And you always assume that they were all very well trained and, and regular at the job, but there must have been some that weren't, yeah. weren't very good. Oh, <laughs> you know, sure, these navigators yeah. are sort of... Uh, I remember I, I, had it, it, yeah. I had it in a helicopter once and we were flying over North Wales. And all of a sudden it goes very quiet. And, they're <laughs> like, and I said, do you know what I mean? I goes, yeah. Where are we then? That that wood's new. (laughs) (laughs) That 2,000 year old wood. It was sort of a a wood of oak trees that had been there for at least a few weeks, I'd say. (laughs) I mean, you know how different the ground is looking from the air to. It's completely different, isn't it? You you struggle to recognise things that you've been past every day. And also, I find even if you've looked on like Google Maps, Mm. it's so Mm. different when I'm Mm. flying suddenly I'm like oh my god there is the airfield I have no idea where anything else is (laughs) and having done it for a while now I can't if someone shows me the the, the, um, sat nav views where it's it's your point of view I say no I need a map I I have to look at it from above (laughs) if it's not from above it doesn't make any sense to me Um, and and it's almost gone the other way now Mm. well fantastic real honour and privilege so yeah thank you anybody uh Mm. Has the chance to visit. Visit. Uh, I I would say it's one of, I think at this day, may even top when we did it, but it was one of the best days of my life coming here, the Mm. taxi run. If you're into any sort of. Your life has been pretty dull. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. True. Life is a pop star. uh, Yeah, you must come. Yeah. And what about shutting down? Um, we only have one hydraulic pump fitted, so we know that if we've got hydraulics, that hydraulic pump's working, so we just shut all four down together. Oh, okay. BVMF, because they have two hydraulic pumps fitted, yeah. they will shut, um, they'll leave number three running for a start, check hydraulics, yes. um, and then start the other three, so they know number three is working. Then they'll shut all down bar number two, 
leave number two running, check hydraulics, and then number two hydraulic pumps working, and chill that. So three and two will have more hours on them than one and four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you don't count ground hours, but yeah. Oh, okay. You only count flight hours. Oh, it's not right. theory it's four bolts because there's eight bolts hold the engine to the, the uh, bearers and then four bolts hold the bearers together in the end. <laughs> we had a Lancaster pilot say if he'd known that when he was flying he'd be a bit more careful with his landings. <laughs> yeah, there, is one, one, there is one nut that holds the cock on that's called the Jesus nut because yeah. if that comes off all you can do. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your own fire engine? Yeah. Here you have to. Yeah. yeah, I guess associated costs are I know. pretty yeah. sizable. Yeah, we had that bespoke made by Carmichael. It's 100 grand. For... And, oh, I mean, the insurance just for doing this must be enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very um, waiting. Do you, is the plane insured? Yeah, the yeah, aircraft's insured as an aircraft. Some aircraft are insured as like three wheel dragsters and stuff, right. but that's. Fully insured as an aircraft and aviation underwriter. Okay. Um, how much? How can you insure something that's priceless? Yeah, you just when they go to Lloyd's, figure one, haven't you? Just yeah. got to pick a figure yeah. out the air. And yeah. when you go to Lloyd's in London and go Lancaster, <laughs> <laughs> who wants a bit of this? It's the only one that's insured in the UK is a Lancaster. Isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, people don't insure their aircraft. Quite specialist. Yeah. The, the Queens. Oh, so if it breaks, you space. Yeah. Well, same with the Hurricane. That's the hurricane, there's no more money to mend it. So you've got three Spitfires, so all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so how far through the gate is the throttle on this taxi run? See, when you're talking about throttle, you get into a whole ball game of difficulty. Should I not have asked that question? Well, if you want the answer, you could have asked the question. We might not want the answer. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, no this is, we're not a geeky podcast, but I am quite geeky. So yeah, so the throttle on the aircraft it operates the automatic boost control and the, the carburetor. So the RPM gauge reads propeller RPM. Yeah. But the propeller RPM is governed by the CSU, which is governed by your pitch change lever, not your throttle. Right. So we will have throttle up to zero boost, which is your, your pressure that you can press in the air and fuel mixture with a supercharger. So that's atmospheric pressure. So it's, the engine's not sucking, it's being supplied with sufficient air by the supercharger. So that's zero boost, which is about 2,200 RPM on the ground. When you take off, you'll go up, you're always not losing the ball to lift. You, no, no, you, no, no, no. When you take I can off, walk away. You, have, you take off in fine pitch, so the propeller is as it is now, and you yeah. take off at, I don't know, about plus 12 boost. So you put your throttle forwards, your CSU controls your propeller of your blades and maintains 3,000 RPM, but your boost just increases as you put your throttle further forwards. Okay. So when you're flying, you will have your boost settings and your RPM settings. So say your RPM is 1700 RPM and your boost is plus three. So you set your boost with your throttle, you set your RPM with your RPM levers. Okay, okay. So when we say we're at 2000 RPM, people go, oh, that's like two thirds power because it only registered 3000 RPM. It's nothing like no. two thirds power no. because your power is your boost, not your RPM. 
Interesting. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Work asking how fast. My apologies. No, I, I, I need that I explained asked. to me. As well. yeah. I came in on the end of that, but I explained to you.
Wow. Well done if you got to the end of that. I wonder how many people did. I put that there for myself. It's a very thought-provoking and evocative sound. My grandfather flew Avro Anson's and Lancaster's for the Royal Australian Air Force in the Second World War. Uh, so it, it means a lot to me and it was an incredible experience, I said, to take that taxi ride a couple of years back. I urge you to do it. I know we've said that several times in this podcast, getting bored of it. Think we are not getting any money from Lincolnshire people or the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre. Uh, we're just massive fans. So go and visit them. You can't go on, if you're not going abroad this summer, go up to Lincoln and visit all these incredible sites. And next week, we our magazine episode, we're back in the studio together talking all things Lincoln, Bomber County, and about our stay at the Petwood Hotel, which is where the Dam Busters were based. Uh, we will see you then. Until then, get in contact with us across the socials. Tell your friends. Uh, we're at Top Landing Gear, 2Gs. And until then, bye for now. <laughs>